we are preaching through a series on Malachi. How, how many of you have enjoyed these last two weeks on Malachi? I have been so thrilled. You know, I, I've read Malachi, Malachi many times, but this is the first time I've really delved into it and studied it and worked through it. And I have been amazed at how relevant it is for our everyday life, how how. Human beings are the same centuries and centuries back. That people have the same problems, the same desires, the same aspirations, and God's word is relevant every day for all of us. So you will remember we started the first week and we spoke about, spoke about how God invites us into that covenant of love and then how out of that covenant of love we, we develop a culture of honor. And from Living from those two places, we have a certainty of outcome that as we are in that place, we can be certain that God will be victorious and that God will perform his word through us and around us. And then last week, Andrew talked about uh, Malachi 3. You remember that? And he instructed you and let you know onto a very important fact that there was an Italian prophet in the Bible. You remember that? And his name is Malachi. So you got it? I think he did a bit more funnily than I did, but nonetheless, you got it so that you all understand that all nations are represented in the Word of God. But he spoke about how we go through that fire of testing and that how uh, part of our honor towards God is tithing and living righteously before God. And it, it is a representation of our heart in relationship with God. You remember those that, that sermon? And today we are going to be looking at Malachi 2, I know you're thinking, gosh, these people can't count. Why are they going 1, 3, 2? Well, it was just the, I, I wanted Andrew to, to speak on tithing because he's so really great at that. So he, he was preaching last week, so we kind of swapped the sermons around. But now we are going back to Malachi 2, so we're not leaving it out. And we're looking at Malachi 2 today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for each person here. You're so great, Lord. Your goodness knows no bounds. Father God, you are able in every way to bring about life and fulfill, fulfillment and grace and blessing to each of us, Lord God, that, that your plans for us are so much higher than our plans for ourselves, Lord God. That, Father, we can trust you in everything we do. And I pray that today, Lord God, you would... You would come and speak to every heart here. I pray there would be more than my words that these people hear, but it would be your words. And I pray that you would enable me to speak your word, your way. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So Malachi 2 is a really interesting verse, a very interesting chapter, should I say. The, remember, the Israelites um, had come back from captivity and Babylon. They had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple and they were expecting to God to come down in thunder and lightning and just kind of obliterate the enemies and show his glory in the temple. This hadn't happened. So they'd grown a bit discouraged and, and they had kind of brought back a, a few foreign ways from their time in captivity. And they, they weren't living exactly as God wanted to them to. And he wanted to indeed fill the temple and their lives with his glory. But the way, the place they had positioned their lives was prohibiting God from bringing his presence and his life and his blessing to them. And the book of Malachi is a, is a call to return to the covenant, a call to return to their relationship with God so that his blessing can come. An interesting thing is that 
they came back from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem, and they came back with beautiful Jewish wives that they had married in Babylon. When they arrived back, they noticed that people from the surrounding nations had settled in Jerusalem, and they all had their own gods and, and various different ways of worshiping God. And I don't know if they, these women were more beautiful than the Jewish women, or if they, the men were just a little bit, I don't know, wanting a change. But what they ended up doing is they wanted to marry these foreign women that they saw around them. So what did they do? They divorced their Jewish wives, and they married these foreign women. And Malachi 2 is all about God coming down and sitting them and looking in the face and saying, how, why are you behaving like this? Don't you know that, you're, that a covenant with me, living in covenant with me means living in covenant with a community of people? the other, other sons and daughters of the Most High God, and that, that your relationship with me is lived out through your relationship with others. Not only are we to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. And whereas Malachi 1 and Malachi 3 are all about honoring God, Malachi 2 is, guys, if you honor me, if you honor God, then it must work out in your relationships with people. And goodness, kindness, life, integrity, wholeness must characterize your relationship with other people. So let's begin. I'm going to be speaking to you from verse 10. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open there. Malachi 2 verse 10 Malachi talking to them, he says, Have we not all one Father? Do not one God, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? There you go. He's introducing it right away. He's saying, A covenant with me means a covenant with people. It means you living in a covenant community. That that your church community now becomes your family. And the way you live out those relationships reflects the quality of your relationship with your heavenly father. I... um, as, well, let me let me preface this point by saying this: as we as we drove down to Uvongo this week, if we had jumped onto the N1 and gone very fast down the N1, driven absolutely excellently with all our hearts on the N1, we would have been driving for 10, 11, 12 hours and discover we never get to Durban. Why? Because we're on the wrong road. The N1 goes to Cape Town. For those of you who are wondering, N1 goes to Cape Town. The N3 goes to Durban. So if we had stuck on that road, no matter how excellently we had driven, we would have not got to our destination. And we could have thought, gosh, this, it's taking a long time to get to Durban, so let's just accelerate more. Let's try harder. Let's be better. It doesn't matter how well you do when you're on the wrong road, you're going to get to the wrong place. And the only way to rectify that is not by trying to be better at the road you're on, but to stop, turn around, and get on the right road. And, and here's the interesting thing. We could be down the N1, and we could be um, you know, three-quarters of the way to Cape Town, and suddenly realize that we're not going to get to Durban. So, oh, guys, well, we never really meant to get to Durban anyway. 
And then we start justifying why we're there and how we're there. And this, is, this was God's will for us anyway. Well, look, Cape Town could be, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> But say, say we'd, got, we've, we'd got onto the road to Tweer Buffelsmit in Skootfontein. Have you heard of that place? It's a real, real place in Joburg. I mean, in South Africa. You know that there's actually a place called Hot as Hell. You don't pronounce it like that, but it's spelled like that. You know, so, so we, we like three quarters away, and then we start to justify. Oh, my word. This is where we always wanted to go anyway. This is... And we start, kind of start to make it seem like this is what we wanted. And you know, I, I feel like to some degree that is true for all of us. That you know, sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we choose the wrong road. And you have a choice at that time whether to acknowledge that, turn around, get on the right road or justify your actions and make it seem like this is the road you always wanted to be on forever. Here are some, some statements made by people who filled out insurance claims, justifying their actions. First of all, as I approached an intersection, a sign suddenly appeared in a place where no stop sign had ever appeared before. I wasn't able to stop in time to avoid the accident. <laughs> How about, I, don't think this, I didn't think the speed limit applied after midnight. How about, the accident happened when the right front door of a car came around the corner without giving a signal. How about this one? An invisible car came out of nowhere, struck my car, and vanished. How about this one? The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. How about the car in front of the car in front hit the pedestrian, but he got up, so I had to hit him again. <laughs> I know, like when you really think about that one, that one's too horrible to even contemplate. Lord help that person, whoever they was, that pedestrian. But you know, those are funny reminders of what's so commonly human practice to make it the other person's fault to make it someone else's issue. And you know, I, I feel the goodness of God is so, so enormous. The plans he has for our life are so incredible that I want to invite all of us to face fairly and squarely our own lives and the places where our lives are on the road to say, God, or on the wrong road to say, God, no justifications. I'm facing up to reality. I'm stepping off this road and I'm stepping on your road. I'm going your way. The places where my relationships with people are not working out the way they're meant to, where I, I have violated my covenant with you through the way I've treated the people around me. Right, it stops right here. I turn around, acknowledge what I've done, and I say, God, put me on the right road. And that's the enormous grace of God. It's the enormous grace of God is that instead of having to drive all the way up, back up the N1, he picks you up and he puts you on the right road right there and then, in an instant. He's that good. So the first point I want to look at is, is the path that we're on. 
there's a scripture in Jude 17. Well, Jude 17 and 18. Jude doesn't have any chapters, so it's just verse numbers. It says this, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. If you read it in the message, it says something that really caught my attention. It says, in the last days, there will be people who don't take these things seriously anymore. They'll treat them like a joke and make make a religion of their own whims and lusts. God forbid that would ever be our, our portion. But it's so easy to do what these Israelites in the book of Malachi, Malachi, we're doing, it's like, oh, I, I want that woman over there. Oh, I want that thing over there. So let me justify, find reasons why God would want me to do this. Oh no, God, God always wanted me to have all this money and therefore I'm not, I don't have to, I'm not accountable for how I, how I use it and I can just spend it all on myself. Or you know the, um, uh, God, God doesn't wake up on a Sunday morning. God, God wants me to have peace and, and tranquility in my life. Going to church is just going to upset that, so I'm just going to stay here in bed. I have some people in the front saying it's the cold that made me do it. It's one of those insurance ads. <laughs> I mean, one of those insurance claims. But, but the, the bottom line is that you can always find, the devil will find so many reasons why following our whims and our lusts, our, our personal desires is just what you need to do right now and how much God approves of that. But what it does is it puts us on the wrong road and sends us to a place where God can't bless us and robs us of more than we will ever imagine. Here's the good news. You need some good news after all of this. Proverbs 4 verse 18 says this, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. You know, sometimes the the way and the lifestyle that God gives us is sometimes harder than just following what, what feels easy and good to you. Sometimes it takes more sacrifice, more self-discipline. Maybe sometimes it's turning away from some things that are really attractive to you at that moment. But here's my promise to you, and it comes right out of the Bible, that you stick with it. You keep walking that path, and it is going to get brighter and brighter, freer and freer, more life-giving more blessed until you you sit there and think to yourself, oh my word, I'm so grateful I never went down that other path because what I have gained by walking in fellowship with God and in union with my brothers and sisters in Christ, the relationships, the delight, the life that has come to me cannot be bought. It's It's worth so much more than anything I could have gained in quick pleasure down that other road. If we move on down the scripture through the book, from verse 11 it says this, Judah has broken faith. 
A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughters, the daughter of a foreign god. As for the men, the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. And it carries on verse 13. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with your tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now certainly this portion of scripture is most definitely about marriage. But it's also about something else. It's about the alignment of a person's life. It's, it's where you're going to partner. It's where you're going to, to put your faith. Where you're going to put the, what, what basket you're going to put your eggs in. How you're going to align your life. And really what, what in essence why God was so clear that they were not to marry foreign wives. He was so clear about it from this perspective that if you marry foreign wives, you will break the covenant with me because they will turn you to worshiping idols. And really, although this is very clearly about marriage, it's also about the hearts of a nation. A hearts of a nation being inclined towards God and not to the idols of the age. And so for us, please take it, to you, take it for your marriage. You just stay married. That's what it's saying. Good job. <laughs> Work on your stuff and stay married. But it's also saying, be careful where you align your heart. Be careful where you, where you put your desires and affections and passion. You know, these men were just following their whims and fancies and justifying it and then coming and bringing lavish gifts before God and weeping and wailing. And God's saying, how can I bless you? Look, at, I hear the weeping and wailing of others, the women that you've, you've cast out and who are now living in poverty because you have scorned them. And here's the thing is that, that God watches our actions the way we live, where our hearts are aligned. Another, another way, maybe a modern parable of this situation would be you get approached by a very wealthy man and he asks you to go into business with him. You go into business with him, into the business, you suddenly discover that he's selling drugs on the streets of Joburg, downtown Joburg, and that's where all the money is coming from. But the money's good. So you turn a blind eye to where it's coming from and you come and give a huge big donation to the church. Oh my word, that will make it okay. And God says, I see the hundreds of young people whose lives are being enslaved by the place that you put your heart. As you aligned yourself with these wrong things, their hearts are being enslaved as a consequence of your action. And it doesn't matter how big the gift is you bring to church. People are being hurt as a result of your actions. And God's saying, of course I want the big donations for our church building project. Of course we do want that. But don't let it come from drug money. 
and not that any of you would be involved in selling drugs, I'm pretty sure of that. But you get the point, is that where you align your heart is so vital to where you, to the way God blesses you. I've been using the word alignment a lot. And another way of talking about alignment is idolatry. It's a kind of an old fashioned word and we don't use it very much, but really what it is, it's the idols are the, the things that you defend. They're the things outside of God's, outside of God and his value system that you defend, you sacrifice for, you identify with, and you receive self-worth from. So if any of you are not feeling convicted right now, I'll just say it again. Because the bottom line is, these idols are all around us and they pull all the time. And it's so easy to get your sense of self-worth from the job you do. Guys, you're so much more than the job you do. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God, and I don't care whether you're sweeping streets, uh, picking up after children, or the CEO of a huge multinational corporation. Your value remains the same. And the problem is, is that when we start to get our self-worth from other things, then we will defend them then we want to keep them. And then we start getting less and giving less and less time to other things to, to protect this part because it's, it's providing something for us. And then we see families destroyed by their parents who are running after money, fame, and fortune. It's because hearts have been aligned in the wrong place. Here's a great scripture that you've probably read before. I think it's very helpful at this point. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, it says in 2 Corinthians 6. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we, the, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. I want to look at that promise right at the end. And the promise right at the end is saying this. If you give me your heart, if, if, you, if you make me the center of your sense of self-worth, your sense of life, I will walk with you. I will talk with you. And you will be on that path of righteousness that is brighter every day until the, the brightness of the noonday sun. He has another great scripture, Galatians 5 verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. While I, why I love this is because, because when anything else becomes your master, 
no matter what it is, what it, whenever anything else become your, becomes your master other than God, it puts you in bondage. Suddenly you've got to serve that. You know, there are two ways to create wealth. To increase your income, here's the thing. Then you have to be ever increasing your income because you get used to that and then you have to be wealthier and you get your fulfillment out of being wealthy and so you need more and you need more and it becomes a treadmill that just keeps going faster and faster, managing all those investments, doing all those things. And I'm not saying anything against having vast amounts of money, may you have them, but may they not be your source of identity. The second way to create wealth is to reduce desire. is to reduce what you need to be happy. Do you really need those four cars? Some of you just need one, and I'm agreeing with you. Have that one. <laughs> but it's so easy for those idols to bring us into bondage, and then we're in the rat race, and we can't get off. We're on a treadmill that's going faster and faster. And we're having to feed these things to keep them going and to keep ourselves feeling worth something and keep our standing in society and keep this and that. That all means nothing. And Jesus is saying, I set you free. I set you free from the opinions of man. I set you free from the, the love of wealth. I set you free from these things. Why? So you could be free. I set you free from those desires that have pulled you away from me. Why? So that you could live free, whole, alive, and blessed. Charles Spurgeon said this. That just really, really got me when I read it. He said it's it, is all, it always seems inexplicable to me that those who claim free will so very boldly for man, in other words, you can, you can do what you want, should not also allow some free will to God. Why should not Jesus Christ have the right to choose his own pride? We run around saying, I can do what I want when I want. If that's true of you, it's true of God. And he chooses those who have aligned themselves with him. He will have a bride that loves him. So in order to be chosen by God, we, we have to answer his call and choose him. Align all of ourselves with him. Something Joyce Meyer said, if you want to be free, just start doing what God wants you to do one step at a time and you'll eventually walk out of your messes. What she's saying. Acknowledge you're on the wrong road, my friend. Pick up, turn around, tell God the truth, and, and just start doing what you weren't doing before. Ask for His grace to start doing the things that you know are right and are true. And before you know it, you'll find yourself on the right road full of God's glory and walking into all the victories that you've always wanted. The 
the passage of scripture finishes like this. Has the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring, talking about the marriages. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not speak faith. Do not break wake, sorry, do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Why? Because I'm seeking godly offspring. What's he saying? I'm not just, I'm not just inter- interested about your actions for you. I'm interested in your actions because of the people it will affect. Because of the consequences that will come in generations to come. I'm not just, I'm not just thinking about, one, about you, about one person. I'm thinking about all the myriad of people who will be touched by your life. The way you live matters. There are consequences to the way you treat people. How many many of you dream about having big muscles, a a six pack and like really looking extremely ripped when you go to the beach? I think we all dream about it, but here's the thing, dreaming about it doesn't get it. Going to the gym gets it. Professing Christianity, mouthing the right words, doesn't get it for you. Doing the stuff gets it for you. Because there are consequences to actions. Yeah. Let me preface that slide by telling you about a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and he lived in the 1700s, an extremely godly man, and he, he preached up and down the eastern seaboard of America and saw great revivals wherever he went, such that entire towns at that time became Christian. So it was, it was almost like that you couldn't find a person in all of the eastern side of the United States at the time who was not Christian because of him and his friends preaching and the, the move of God that happened through their lives. He had 70 resolutions that he lived by, and he read them every week. I'm going to spare you reading all 70 of his resolutions, but I'm going to read a few of them to you. I will do whatsoever I think to be the most to God's glory. I, I resolve to live with all my might while I do live. I resolve to always do my duty willingly and cheerfully, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way possible. I resolve to inquire every night whether I have acted in the best way possible that day. I resolve to live so that I have no regrets on my last day. I resolve never to do anything out of revenge, anger, or irrationality, nor speak evil of anyone. I resolve always to speak the pure and simple truth. I resolve whenever I hear anything spoken in conversation of any person, if I think it praiseworthy, imitate it to direct all my forces against anything in me that causes me to doubt the love of God, to study the scriptures steadily, constantly, and frequently, and renew frequently the dedication of myself to God, which was made at my baptism. And he has many more. There is a picture of him, and interestingly enough, Some studies have been done on the effect of his life through his children. 
from gener Jonathan Edwards' children and, and generations afterwards, there has, there has come one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. That's a godly legacy right there. He has another man who lived about the same time as Jonathan Edwards. His name is Max Jukes. And he went to prison. And one of the men who kind of oversaw that prison noticed over the years that many people who came into that same prison either had the same last name or related to this guy. So he did some research and said, well, let's see where all the offspring of this guy went. Now, when I look at his, pre his picture, I, I do, my heart is just, man, that looks like a troubled man. And I, I wish that someone had got to him with the message of Jesus. But he lived a life outside of the kingdom, no resolutions to do good, only resolutions to take care of himself. And this is the consequences. From his life, there came seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 prostitutes, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers, 400 physically, people physically wrecked by indulgent living. In other words, they had, they had physical injuries as a result of their lifestyle. And it's estimated that he cost the U.S. government $1.25 million in the consequences of his life. I guess the story of this is, your life matters. How you live matters. How you relate to your husband and wife matters. How you relate at work matters. How you, how you live out the covenant that you are in with God matters. It has consequences, and those consequences reverberate throughout generations. And so every, every time we take a step, every time we, we act or think, let's resolve in our hearts to align the way we're living with God's purposes, God's covenant of love with us. Because we are confident of this, that as we continue to do that, our path will start like the dawn and grow ever brighter until the noonday. Because God is that faithful. Amen and amen. In conclusion, follow God's path Align yourself with him, and the consequences will be freedom and multi-generational blessing. Amen. Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that we, we are on the right side. We want to thank you that we're in covenant with you, Lord God, and that, that you are faithful to that covenant, Lord. You are faithful to that covenant. Lord God, I want to thank you that you never grow weary of bringing good to our lives. There isn't a moment when your thoughts are bent towards evil or anger towards us because of the covenant of your son, Lord God, that you are, you are devising ways to bless your children. You're inventing ways to bring your kingdom into our lives. And Lord God, we acknowledge that. And we want to align our lives with you. We want to say, Lord God, we want to put all our eggs in that one basket. We want to say that you are enough. Lord God, we want to repent and turn away from the ways that we have tried to create pleasure and life for ourselves outside of you. The places where we have aligned ourselves with ungodliness. 
the place where we have, we have made covenants, so to speak, with the enemy, Lord. The way we have chosen, the place that we have chosen relationships, agreements, with people and things outside of your kingdom. Lord God, we, we repent and turn from that and we, we acknowledge you as the sufficient, all sufficient life source for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord God, we are confident of this in that alignment, in that alignment with you, Lord God, that you will bring about blessing that is unsurpassed in any other place. Lord God, we are confident of this, that you will bless our families, you will bless our relationships, you will bless our work, you will bless our witness to the world. Thank you, Lord. 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 And as we close and as every eye is bowed, every eye is closed and head is bowed, Lord, I want to pray that there's, if there's anyone here Lord who's living outside of that covenant with you they, they haven't committed their lives to you Lord God would you speak to them and would you, you would you once again hold out the olive branch of your love and peace towards them and let them know and let them know that they can be on the right road in an instant. And so, of course, there are two types of people. There are those of us who we've known Jesus, we've been in His kingdom for a long time, but they're just areas of our lives that have been out of, out of place. And right now, if that's you, I want you to simply tell God that. ask God in your mercy and grace would you put those areas of my life back on track it's as simple as that it's as simple as that that's what repentance is it's simply acknowledging what's wrong and asking God for help and then walking with his grace into a new way of living no condemnation no looking back God we are children of the light Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven us. And then there's another group of people here, and if you have to really acknowledge it, you, you've been in charge of your life, and you have been running it the way you th thought best. And you have now come to realize that Jesus runs lives better than we do. if that's you and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to say, God, I, I don't want to run my life anymore. I want you to run my life. I want you in charge. I need grace. I need your empowering ability to be different. Thank you for the cross that set me free, that forgave me of all my past. Lord God, I, I run to that and say, God, come and set me free. And if that's you and you you want to make that change, that lifestyle change, and that's you. I'd love you to just raise your hand right now so that I can pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that?
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, can we all pray this together? Lord Jesus, I come to you. And Lord God, I repent. And I turn away from running my life under my own direction. I surrender the control of my life to you. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Set me free. I acknowledge the cross of Jesus Christ as the thing that saves me. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? I want to ask the one person who raised their hand, uh, would you like to come up here? Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Come on up here, Haley. Can we just extend our hands and pray for this great woman? Thank you, Lord. Lord God, what courage it took to make the stand, Lord God. And right now we, we receive this woman as the blessing she is, Lord God. We ask again for more of your presence on her, Lord God. Father God, fill her again. Give her the joy of her salvation, Lord God. Return her first love, Lord God. Cause every part of her to just be filled with the, the reality of your glory, Lord God. Come and thrill her. Come and thrill her with your might and your grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? So great people, I want to, as we close, I want to ask one last question.